Now it's time to open God's Word together. If you have a Bible, or if you have access to one on the pew in front of you, I'd ask you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms 78. If you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, you can find the book of Psalms right in the the very middle of your Bible just about. It's very big. It's hard to miss. Uh, If you're even less familiar with the Bible than that, and that even seems to be a struggle on how to get there, you can turn to 578, page 578 in the Bible in the pew in front of you, those blue Bibles, and you'll get there and you can read along with us. Psalm 78. Today we're talking about investing in the next generation. Parents, I got a question for you. Will your children walk away from the Lord when they get older? Will your children walk away from the Lord when they get older? It's an important question because it's happening at an alarming rate, at a rate perhaps that we haven't seen in decades or or even longer than that. Christian parents are having their kids walk away from the Lord completely at an alarming rate. There are all kinds of articles being written about this, books being written about it, studies being done. But it's an important question. It's an eternally important question. It's one of the greatest fears of every parent that is a true follower of Christ. And it's something that even a number of people in this room are agonizing over as we speak, suffering a daily pain deeper than most of us can imagine. Now, in the wisdom and the secret providence of God, not everyone is blessed with children. And some of us in this room simply don't have children yet. And so you might think, oh, oh, this, this sermon's not really related to me, but hold with me, because it is. It's absolutely related to every single one of us. But for those who have been blessed with children, you know this, and those without, I want to tell you this. There is no one that you love more. There's no one that you love more than your kids. There's no one that your heart breaks for more than your kids. There is no one you worry about so much as your children. No one you wish for happiness more. No one that you pray for more than your children. Will your children walk away from the Lord? Or let's ask it this way, to all of us, kids or not, will the next generation coming up after us walk away from the Lord? Let's read Psalm 78 together. I'm going to read the first eight verses. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. This is God's word. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching." Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, 
a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. If you look at this psalm in its entirety, Psalm 78, it's a warning. This psalm is a warning to the people of Israel to pass on their faith to the next generation because if you don't, they will walk away from the Lord. It's a warning to us. If we do not pass on our faith to the next generation, they're going to walk away from the Lord. They're going to walk away from the Lord. They will become like these Israelites who rebelled against God, who sinfully tested him, who refused to trust him, and who in the end forgot him. If we do not actively pass on our faith to our kids, they will walk away from God when they get older. This morning from our text, I want to draw out two main points for you and take them in turn. The first is we must pass down our faith. We must pass down our faith. And second, we cannot be passive in doing this. We must pass down our faith and we cannot be passive in doing it. First, we must pass down our faith. God has commanded it, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 5 in our text. One more time, verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. God has commanded his people to pass down their faith to the next generation, to our children. To pass down who the Lord is. To pass down his great works and his might and his power and his majesty to pass down the gospel the gospel message brothers and sisters we are called to pass down the message that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh that Jesus was not just a man that he was God become a man and that wonder of all wonders as he lived and as he grew up, he did not come and set up an earthly kingdom and make people bow down to him. He served and then he died. He let people kill him. Why? So that as an innocent sufferer, having never sinned, he could pay for the sins of others. On the cross he died, not just letting the Romans torture and kill him, but having God pour out his very wrath on his son for those of us who would put our faith in him so that we would not have to experience that wrath, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be made right with God, and so that we would not have to experience an eternity in hell, but we could be with him forever. We have to pass this down. We must pass it down to our children I am so very blessed to have had parents and grandparents who loved the Lord and passed down their faith to me. Not everyone is. Not everyone is blessed with this. And praise the Lord that, that anyone can come to Christ. Anyone can put their faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to come to, from a Christian family to become a Christian and to know the Lord and to have your sins forgiven and to be made right with God. You don't have to come from a Christian family to be saved but I, I won the lottery of birth. And by the grace of God, I was born into a family where my grandparents loved the Lord. My granddad was a preacher right outside of Glasgow his whole life. My grandmother loved the Lord with all she had. They passed on that faith to my mother who knows the Bible like the back of her hand. 
And she married my dad, and my dad was an elder in the church for most of our lives, and they passed down that faith to me. I am so, so, so thankful for that. But not everyone has that. Not everyone is blessed with that. But what we have the opportunity to do, those of us in here, right here, right now, who know the Lord, we have the opportunity to pass that down to someone else, to pass that down to the next generation. Now, parents, Adam said this earlier as he was speaking of the responsibility that parents have to raise their kids. Parents, the primary responsibility for someone to pass down the faith to a child lies on the parents. Parents are the primary ones responsible for teaching their kids to know the Lord. It is not primarily the responsibility of the church to make sure your kids know the Lord. God has laid that responsibility on you, parents. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, it will not do to say, well, I brought them to church. I took them to church. They should know that that, that they've been taught. I took them to church. It is not enough, brothers and sisters. Youth ministers and Sunday school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for the loving instruction and the fervent prayers of moms and dads. Listen to God's words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see what this is saying to us? It's saying we've got to make God's word a part of our lives, a part of our everyday lives. We've got to talk about it with our families and with our kids. When we're doing the things that we do every day, when we're sitting down to eat dinner, when we're going to bed, when we're in the car going to school or going some other place, we've got to incorporate God and his word into our very lives. It has to be more than just a church service once a week. Brothers and sisters, one hour of church per week is not going to be enough to ensure your kid follows Jesus when he or she grows up. It has to be more than that. It's going to take us actively teaching our kids in the home. It's going to take us reading the Bible with them, praying with them, talking about Scripture and about the Lord and his ways with them in our very lives. And so, parents, you're the primary ones responsible for this, but also, as Adam said as well, The church is responsible for this as a whole. It's not just on parents. It's on every single one of us who are part of a body of Christ. The church is responsible to raise the next generation, not just their kids, but the next generation that comes after us. Every single one of us is responsible for this. Church, what are we going to do to make sure that the next generation knows the Lord? I want each and every one of you to understand the eternal weight and significance of what is happening in our Sunday school classes for little kids. In our Sunday school classes for little kids, there is a war going on that you cannot see with your physical eyes. There is an eternal weight to what is happening in that hour that children are being introduced to the God of the universe And to the only one who can save us from our sins. 
and they are hearing God's word and they are listening to it be taught. Each week here at church, kids are being instructed in the ways of the Lord and his words in the Bible. And friends, if we do not take care to prioritize that in the life of our church, we could be a generation or two away from this church not existing anymore. Or from us as a church drifting away from teaching the word the way it must be taught. And the next thing you know, there's no Columbia Christian Church, or it calls itself a church, but it's nothing resembling God's word. There's all kinds of churches all over the place that say they're a church. And it is nothing like what we find in the word. Do you remember 2 Kings 22 and King Josiah? Some of you might, some of you might not. Some of you might not have ever read this story. There was a king in the history of Israel named Josiah. And his, his, his story is recorded in 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 22. Josiah was a wonderful king. He was actually made king when he was eight years old. Eight years old. Kids, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being eight years old and all of a sudden you're the king of the nation of Israel? What, what do you even do? Right? He's eight years old when he's made king. But from the very beginning, Scripture tells us Josiah had a heart for the Lord. And he wanted to follow the Lord. He wanted to honor him. Well, it was 18 years later, 18 years after he first took the throne, that Josiah had some men repairing the temple. Because the temple itself had had gotten into disrepair. The temple was actually a picture of the people's hearts and their spiritual status before God. It was in disrepair and they were in disrepair. But Josiah is leading them back. They're repairing the temple. And as these men are cleaning up the temple, they find this book. They find a book. It's a dusty book that's been under all kinds of things and hidden away. And they open it up and they realize this is the book of the law. This is God's word. God's word had been neglected for years and years and years. They'd just been doing everything on what what the tradition had passed down to them. But they hadn't been reading and hearing God's word. And so they bring it to King Josiah and they start to read it in his presence. And it says immediately as he heard the words, he recognized what it was. And he tore his robes. He tore them in agony and repentance. And he immediately required that the priest go and inquire of the Lord for him and for the people of Judah. And he said, he said this, he said, great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. It was not passed down from generation to generation. It was just passively neglected and eventually forgotten. And that same thing can happen to us right here if we are not careful. That same thing. And so, while parents are the primary ones responsible for passing on the faith to the next generation, the church is responsible as well. It's a community project. Notice the the community-type language in our text, verse 4. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but we will tell to the coming generation the deeds of the Lord. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Verse 6, the next generation would know them. It's community language. It's not all about individual families. It's the whole community. And so perhaps some of you are saying, "I, I don't have kids in the youth ministry here at this church. I don't even have kids in the church here. That doesn't excuse you. If you're part of this body of Christ, it's on every single one of us. To make sure that the next generation is taught 
that our faith is passed down. What can you do, even if you don't have kids in the youth ministry? What can you do to be part of making sure this next generation knows the Lord? And so we, we must pass down. We must pass down the faith. But second, we cannot be passive. In this, we cannot be passive. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children. Now, what would that look like? What would that look like, a a generation hiding these things from their children? Is it it like the adults are reading the scriptures and they're they're keeping them a secret and like, no kids, you can't see this. That's not what's going on. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is that this would be someone just simply being passive, not doing anything to proactively pass on God's teachings. And that is essentially hiding them. That's what hiding them is. We either proactively teach God's word to the next generation or we are hiding it from them. That is what it's saying. We either proactively teach God's word and God's ways and God's works and the gospel of the Lord to the next generation or the Lord says, you're hiding it from them. We cannot be passive and simply expect them to know and love God. Now, what do I mean by being passive? What does that really mean? Well, being passive means just living your life and assuming that your kids or assuming that the next generation will just follow in your footsteps. Just assuming they will. You you bring them to church, but you don't proactively teach them yourself. It's just assumed. Ours is a Christian family. We just assume that, right? We go to church. We're a Christian family, but we never really talk about it. We never really have conversations about what it really means in everyday life to follow Jesus. And we stand by simply waiting for our kids to become Christians, waiting for them to make the Lord a priority in their lives. That's what being passive means. So that's what it is. But what happens if we do that? What happens if we are passive? Well, look at verses 7 and 8 in our text. Verses 7 and 8. It says we, we must do this. People must pass down the faith so that this next generation should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, if, if you just live life, if you just live life, And don't proactively take care to know the Lord or to pass on this knowing of the Lord. People just drift away. That's the natural thing that happens. You drift away from the Lord. You drift away from God's word. You walk away from it. If you just passively live life, it it does not bend toward following God. Life bends toward not following God. That's the natural thing that happens for every single one of us. That's why so many times in the book of Deuteronomy... As Moses is talking to the Israelites and they're about to go into the promised land and he can't go in, he's telling them over and over again, take care not to forget the Lord. Take care to make sure you follow him. Take care. Take care. Why? Because if you don't proactively take care, you just fall away. You drift away from the Lord. That's what happens naturally. And so if we are passive, when it comes to passing on our faith to our children, they will walk away from God when they grow up. That is what will happen. Now understand this, parents. Understand this. Parents who've got kids still in the home, when your kids grow up and they leave the house, they are going to do what they want to do. 
When they live on their own, they are going to do what they want to do. Kids, listen to this. Kids are in here with us today. It's family day. Kids, listen to this. When you grow up and you become a grown-up and you get to move out on your own, guess what? You get to do whatever you want. You get to do whatever you want. Did you know that? When you grow up and you live on your own, you can do whatever you want. You want to have chocolate for dinner? Go for it. Right? You can do it. You want to stay up till 3 a.m.? You can do it. Now, there's consequences to everything that you do, right? If you want to eat sugar for dinner every night, I think you'll, you'll find out pretty quickly that's not what you want to do. You thought it was what you wanted to do, but it doesn't feel good. And it, it, it makes your body all kinds of ways that you don't want it to be, right? You think you want to stay up till 3 a.m. every night and then go to work the next day? You, you do that a couple times and then you realize, no, that's not what I want to do. That's, that's not what I want to do, right? But the, the wonderful thing about being a grown-up is you can do whatever you want. You make your own decisions. No one's telling you what to do anymore. But parents understand, parents understand the other side of that. There's not going to be anyone forcing them to go to church anymore. When your kids grow up and leave the house, no one's going to be forcing them to go to church. Kids, sometimes does it feel like mom and dad's forcing us to go to church? Does it feel like mom and dad is sometimes forcing us to go to church? Right? Now understand this, kids. Understand this. We love our mom and dads, and they love us. And sometimes they they do make us do something that we don't want to do. Why is that? Well, kids, let's be honest. We don't always want what's best for us, do we? Sometimes we, we want something that's not good for us, and our parents have to correct us, right? My parents could not let me eat sugar for dinner every night. When I was in school, in middle school, in high school, my basketball coaches, they forced me to run. They forced me to do conditioning. I did not want to do that, right? They forced me to do drills I didn't want to do. Why? Because they were wiser than I was. They understood. I was young. I was immature. I didn't have all the wisdom and all the knowledge. But guess what? I'm not in high school anymore. No one's forcing me to work on my left-hand dribble anymore. No one's forcing me to work on my jumper anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. Everybody does what they want to do. And so... Mom and dad, here's what that means. Here's what that means practically, mom and dad. If church attendance has always just been some external thing that we do because we have to, and we have not done anything to reach the hearts of our kids, why would we expect them to continue going to church when they're on their own? Why would we? Or if we have not integrated our faith into the Monday through Saturday rhythms of our lives, why would we expect them to continue? Why would we expect it? Today's young people see right through this stuff, don't you? Young people, you see right through people being fake. You see right through people acting like, well, do as I say, not as I do. You see right through that stuff, don't you? Today's young people see right through inauthenticity. When someone is inauthentic, they see right through it. And so if Christianity for mom and dad is just something they do on Sundays, I'm going to give it up altogether. I'm just going to be real, right? If mom and dad are one person at church and a different person at home, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to be the same person all the time. And what that means is I'm going to give up church. And if mom and dad consistently showed us with their actions, that other things were more important than the Lord. If mom and dad consistently showed us that when, when these two things compete, when it's church or, or travel ball, when it's church or camping, 
other things compete with the Lord, the other things win out consistently. If mom and dad showed us that with their actions, it doesn't matter how much they told us the Lord was the most important. We learned what they showed us. And so if that's the case, I'm going to go spend my time on those other things when I grow up. And so this has to be so much more than a passive bringing our kids to church or else they're going to drop it the minute they get out on their own. We cannot be passive in passing on our faith to our children. Because brothers and sisters, let me assure you, the culture is not going to be passive. Our culture is not going to be passive. They will teach our kids. They will disciple our kids. Our culture is ready and waiting to step in and fill the gap that passive parents have left. Understand that. Our culture is ready and waiting to step in and fill the gap that passive parents have left. Many groups who promote values that you would consider radical and ungodly already have frequent opportunities to teach your children every week through television and through a little thing we like to call the smartphone. They already have access to your kids in teaching them and influencing them and discipling them. The next generation will be taught. The next generation will be discipled and they will be trained. The only question is taught by whom? Trained in what? And so we have to actively, we have to proactively pass on our faith and our worship of the Lord to them. Now, mom and dad, hear this. None of us can force someone else to follow Christ. That's not the way Christianity works. I, I wish we could force our kids to follow the Lord and ensure their salvation and make sure that they got to heaven by our willpower we can't. That's not the way this works. When they grow up, they have to make their faith their own. No one can force someone else to follow Jesus. Some of you in this room need to hear this this morning. There are all kinds of examples in the Bible of godly parents who had ungodly children. There are all kinds of examples in the Bible of godly people who had ungodly children. Because it has to be their own. They have to grow up and make it their own. Think about Samuel. The prophet Samuel and his sons did not walk in his ways. And so that led to the Israelites demanding a king. Or think about King David. Good King David, a man after God's own heart. He had multiple sons who were wicked and turned away from the Lord. Think about Hezekiah and Josiah, two of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. Both of them had sons who took the throne after them and undid all of the good work that they did. They were wicked sons, wicked kings. And so none of us can force our children to follow the Lord. But what we can do, what we can do is we can do everything within our power so that when they grow up and leave the house, we have no regrets. We can do everything that that, that we can So that when they leave the house, we have no regrets. We did all we could. I wish that I could bring up a number of our older folks up here who have grown children who have walked away from God to tell you their experience and to warn you. What would they say to you? What would they say? I obviously can't speak for all of them, but 
my guess is they would say something like, don't waste these years with your kids. Don't waste these years. Don't simply assume that your children will just automatically follow Christ because you do. Don't assume that. Do everything you can so that when they leave the house, you have no regrets. Let me end by just giving you a a couple practical applications of this. I'll give two practical suggestions to parents and then two practical suggestions to our church as a whole. Parents, what can you do? What can you do here? What, 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 what can we even do? Sometimes parenting seems like we're, we're just floundering and trying to, to stay afloat. What can we do? Well, first, parents, very simply, this is easier said than, said than done, but it is simple. Find a time each day to read the Bible and pray with your kids. Just find a time to read the Bible and pray with your kids. Now, it's got to be consistent. It doesn't have to be seven days a week, but it does have to be consistent over longer periods of time. If you do it one day and then you don't do it for another, you know, month, and then you try to do it again, your kids are going to be like, what's going on? What is this? What are we trying to do? You hear a sermon at church, you felt guilty about it, right? It's got to be consistent. When your kids are little bitty, it will feel like an absolute zoo at times. And you'll pray and you'll be like, did we even accomplish anything? When your kids are teenagers, they'll, they'll grumble and complain at times. But it's worth it. Find a time every day consistently to read the Bible and to pray with your kids. Second, integrate your family into the life of the church. Integrate your family into the life of the church. Commit to being involved regularly in the weekly rhythm of our gatherings. Let the church help you disciple your kids. The primary responsibility is on you, but you are not alone in this. We want to resource you. We want to teach you so that you can teach your kids. We want to give your kids a foundation of biblical knowledge and understanding. We are here to help you do this, and we want to help you do this. This is a community project. And so very practically, just very nuts and bolts practically, I would challenge each of you, to try out Sunday school for a couple of months here at the church. We have Sunday school classes every Sunday at 9 a.m. for all ages. I'd encourage you to try out Sunday school and just give it a couple of months, right? Your kids go get taught an age-appropriate lesson for them, and you also come and learn yourself so that, that you feel more comfortable going home and doing this primary responsibility that you have of passing on your faith to your kids. Just try it out for a couple of months And then see if it does not change your family dynamic. See if it does not change the way that you feel about parenting your kids. Now, church, what can you do? What can you do, church? Well, first, pray. Pray. I ask every single one of you to pray in two ways. Ask God how you can be a part of passing on the faith to the next generation in this church. How can you be a part? And then see what God starts to lay on your heart. Begin praying that prayer. How can I be a part of this, God? Even if you don't have kids in the youth ministry, how can I help? What could I do? And then just just see what God lays on your heart. But then also, don't just pray about that. Pray for the next generation of this church. Regularly. Pray for the next generation of this church. Pray that the young people of this church would grow up to know the Lord and to put their faith in him. 
that they would be protected from Satan and his attacks, that they would be strengthened in their knowledge of God's word and strengthened against the temptations of this world and of Satan and of their own flesh. Pray, pray. And second, church, get to know the kids and the young people of this church. Get to know them. Not just the ones that are related to you. Get to know the kids and the young people of this church. Talk to the ones who sit around you and the ones you meet in the hall. Ask them about their lives. Learn their names and remember them. And as they get to know you, your example of following Christ and your holy life will begin to rub off on them. Our young people desperately need relationships with people outside their generation. They desperately need this. You can see this just from the outside looking at the youth culture of today. They desperately need relationships with adults who are not tossed about by all the trends that they are, who do not care so much about looking cool and being thought of as cool as they do. They desperately need relationships with people who have lived this life and have gone through heartache and have gone through tough times and know what life is about a little bit more than they do. They desperately need those things. Get to know them. The body of Christ is supposed to be a multi-generational community where older and younger love one another and learn from one another. Now, our ultimate example here is Christ. Our ultimate example here is Christ. Jesus spent three years of his ministry pouring into the next generation, pouring into 12 men who would come after him. He was with them. He taught them. He prayed with them. He ministered with them. He gave them everything he had to give, including his life. He passed on what he had to the next generation. He was discipling them. And brothers and sisters, that's what Christianity is all about. We come to know the Lord, and then we help others come to know the Lord, and we help them to follow him. It's what Christianity is all about. But he is not only our example, he is the whole reason why we do this. He is what we are passing on. We are passing on our faith in him. He gave his life for this. He suffered and died not only for you, but so that you could pass this wonderful news, this amazing salvation on to others. When we find salvation, when we have been reconciled to God, we are immediately made ministers and ambassadors for this message. And we are sent out to proclaim it to others and to help others find what we have found. And that begins, it begins with our own children. You think Jesus discipled 12 men. Well, I don't have that kind of influence. I don't have people who are, are, are wanting to follow me and learn from me. Parents, you've been given this on a silver platter. You've been given little folks who are with you all the time and are watching you all the time and are, 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 are an, an open audience all the time. You've been given people to disciple. Church, we've been given younger people, the next generation to disciple. What will we do with it. We must pass on our faith, and we cannot do it passively. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a few moments of silent prayer. We do this each week after the sermon 
so that every single one of us can pour our hearts out to God. God has just spoken to us, and now we speak back to him. We speak back to him from what he has poured into our hearts. And so we encourage you, use this time, these few moments of silent prayer to speak to God. Whatever he's laid on your heart, each of us is probably going to respond in different ways to what we have just heard. So each individual, we ask you to pray to God during this time, to speak to him and to pour your heart out to him. And to to wrestle with him, to do business with him, if you will, on this very, excuse me, on this very topic. And then after a few moments of silent prayer, we're going to come back. We're going to have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. For just the next few moments, let's pray silently.